verses 22 through 38. And when the time had come for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Thank you very much, Pastor Nate. Sweet and sour. We're learning lessons from the faith and failure of biblical characters, and today we come to Simeon and Anna. Here we have the opportunity to observe some, what I'm calling, super senior saints, (laughs) for lack of a better term. Um, Maybe this is just another way of captioning it, learning from the legacy of those with longevity. Uh, those who've been around the block a time or two or three, and uh, learning from their example. We've uh, interestingly spent time looking, this is the 24th installment of our series of Bible characters as a church family wanting to learn and grow from what we see in the lives of these individuals recorded for us in the Bible. Sometimes we notice their victories and sometimes their defeats. Uh, That's why it's sweet on some account and sour on other accounts. And so we see a little bit of the mixture of who everybody is. We don't get the full story on anybody in the Bible. We only get little snippets. If I were to tell your story, I wouldn't be able to tell every detail, would I? Even if I wrote a big, thick book about you, I wouldn't be able to tell everything. And that's the way the Bible is about people. 
you get little snapshots of the whole movie of their life. You get just little vignettes of this, that, and the other. But we get what has been sovereignly ordained by the Holy Spirit that we need to have so that we would have a full-orbed understanding of what it means to be a follower of God, Old Testament and New Testament. We get this mixture of good and bad. We get an understanding of how God transforms people's lives. And so we come today to Simeon and Anna. And what we learn about them kind of right from the beginning is, uh, she, for instance, it says about Anna, she was advanced in years. And what we learn about uh, Simeon, he's about ready to say, I'm ready to depart in peace. We're coming down to the end of our lives. We're the prime timers at church. We're the super senior saints. Well, I'm putting super there because they do so well here in uh, this story, in the truth about their life. And so we can learn some things from the longevity that they've experienced and where they come to in this life. Now, I don't personally know what it's like to be old, but I have read about it, right? (laughs) Uh, Bob Hope wrote, you know you're getting old when the candles cost more than the cake. Phyllis Diller wrote, and you're old if you even know who Phyllis Diller is, okay, let's define our terms here. Whatever you may look like, marry a man your own age. As your beauty fades, so will his eyesight. (laughs) Billy Crystal wrote, by the time a man is wise enough to watch his step, he's too old to go anywhere. George Burns put it this way, when I was a boy, the Dead Sea was only sick. And again, Bob Hope, middle age is when you still believe you'll feel better in the morning. Well, we could do that all day because old people are willing to give you their opinion all day long. We could could delve into that for the rest of the morning. But let me just ask you this. Who is your super saint? Who do you think of as the person you look up to, an elderly person who has lived life, who has learned the lessons of life, and you see the fruit of it in them. Who is the super saint for you? We're going to talk about some things here about Simeon and Anna, but what about for you? If you were to say, this is my super saint, the person I look up to, uh, who would that be? Think about how their life has given you a good example and how you would like to follow in their steps. Who, who is it? I can think of a lot of people. Right, But when I go back to my childhood, looking up to old people, Mr. Mack was one of those people. He was next door to my grandmother, and we'd spend a lot of summers at my nanny's house. And Mr. Mack was next door. And what we did when we went next door with the elderly, you know, he seemed like he was 100 years old. I don't know, he might have been 53. Who, who knows? But, you know, when you're 6 or 7 or 8 years old, everybody looks like, you know, they're 100 and uh, for, for Mr. Mack, what we did for a whole lot of those summer days was to whittle. We'd get little pieces of wood. He'd trust us with a knife. And he taught us to whittle, you know, just anything. Not anything spectacular, just whittle 
on wood. We'd whittle and then we'd piddle around in his barn, you know, his work shed. He'd, he'd be cleaning up this or that or the other, or changing oil and this. And we'd get to piddle with him and whittle with him and, and just listen to life stories. And boy, could Mr. Mack, Mr. McCluskey was his name. We called him Mr. Mack. He could tell a story. And it was fascinating as a kid to listen to his life lessons. While we whittled and while we piddled, we would listen and learn about life. Not that he was, you know, he didn't have a chalkboard and, you know, writing down lessons and we were sitting there with notes, taking notes, but whether it was me or my sister or a cousin or somebody that would would be spending time with him, we were spending time enjoying learning about life from a super, well, I don't know, he wasn't even teaching us spiritual things, he was just teaching us life. All I knew, you know, as a little kid. Do you have somebody like that? Somebody you look up to that has been around the block a couple of times that you think, I enjoyed spending time with them because of the perspective they impressed upon me. By the way, if you let your kids only associate with kids their own age, they're missing a whole lot of life. Intergenerational learning is prime learning. Okay? Teenagers only with teenagers all the time. You never get to mix with old people. I don't like old people. I only like teenagers. I only like my little group. That's That's an impoverished way to live. That's what I like about our church family that's got a little bit of everything. Ball heads, gray heads, young heads. That's a good thing because we live and learn with and by each other. There's a good thing about that. You may not be aware of it, but it is very possible that someone is watching you (laughs) for an example to follow. And that's, you know, that's kind of scary, sobering to think about that. And it isn't just old people that we're looking up to. It's, you know, we learn from each other. And that's appropriate and right. It's the way the nuclear family works, right? Mom and dad, you're teaching by way of everything you do all day long. Your teenagers, your children, those who are coming up in your steps. But it isn't just the home. It's the church. It's everything. It's the community. It's the way we do life, and it's so important that we be aware of the fact that people are watching. Now, we're very aware of the fact today that people are watching because even your doorbell is a camera, and everybody who walks by on the sidewalk is getting their picture taken because we got so many cameras around. Every, quite literally, everybody's watching you all the time. That's scary. But it, it is true that everybody's watching everybody else. And the question we're trying to come to grips with is, am I setting a good example for how I respond to all of life? Let's think about that even in light of these two people. We've already talked about some young people. For instance, just the other day or just the other week when we talked about Mary, the mother of Jesus, teenager And yet we saw how much of the Bible she already had memorized and learned when we have Mary's song of praise that the Lord, you would choose to use. She was literally, every line of that song was a quote from an Old Testament passage. 
and not just one Old Testament passage, many different ones she pulled from in order to sing that song of praise. In other words, she had spent her time, even as a teenager, 13 to 15, 16 years old, Mary, and be able to give that kind of exaltation of the Lord because she was so rooted in Scripture. We can learn from teenagers, from their example. We can also learn from older people. And I think it's somewhat appropriate this morning that we end this series of messages that we've been doing on a prime timer or two, a super senior saints, because it takes all of it, right? Rembrandt in 1627 thought that the story of Simeon and Anna was so important, he gave us what we today call a masterpiece of some kind of a depiction. Of course, who knows what Simeon and Anna looked like, but here was Rembrandt's um, attempt to bring to the attention of the world these noteworthy biblical characters. So, in his generation, and even now lingering to ours, so we wouldn't forget them. Here he has them depicted as old people, and maybe rightly so. So that there's a sense in which, here's the accumulation of life and wisdom, and how they responded to the, the salient moment in human history when God became man, and their part as to how they would respond to it, so that we wouldn't forget it. So our attention today is on Simeon and Anna. Let's consider them together rather than apart. But don't confuse the issue. We're not talking about husband and wife. We're not talking about brother and sister. We're not even talking about relatives when we talk about Simeon and Anna. We're talking about two people that were in the temple at this important moment in time and how their responses are illustrative and and instructive for us. What they shared is their stage of life, Uh, their allegiance to God and His sovereign plan. That's what they shared. That's what was important to the moment that we have recorded for us. Oh, look, they're old people. (laughs) They were advanced in age, and it was important enough to let us see it and experience the reality of the fact that here's lessons coming from these people. Firstborn sons. Let's go back to verse 22 and think about what this means when it says they brought their firstborn son. Chapter 2, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses... They brought him to Jerusalem. We're talking about Joseph and Mary bringing Jesus to Jerusalem. Remember, he was born in Bethlehem. or about, what, seven miles down the road from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. So they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So here's the firstborn son of Joseph and Mary. And what are they doing? They're bringing him from his birthplace, from Bethlehem, up to Jerusalem. This is the center of worship for all Judea. So here they are fulfilling what the law required. So there's two things happening here, consecration and purification. These two things. First of all, Mary and Joseph are saying to the Lord by bringing him to the holy place, 
to the temple in Jerusalem. They were saying, Lord, we recognize that here is our firstborn and he's not ours, he's yours. Remember, this goes back in the law of Moses. This goes back to the Exodus when the Passover uh, event occurred and the firstborn child, because of the blood being put upon the doorpost, the firstborn child of the Israelites, those who were believing and obeying and have applied the blood to their door, the death angel passed over the firstborn child. But the Egyptians, the firstborn child was killed because they did not believe, they did not obey, and consequently their firstborn died. From that moment on, it was a matter of consecration of the people of Israel that they, generation after generation after generation, said, look, here's the firstborn. You could have taken the firstborn back there, but you didn't. So here's our act of dedication to you. The firstborn is yours. It's kind of like the first fruits of the crop. Lord, that's yours. We give that the the very best we earn, we understand, Lord, is yours. The, our firstborn, the one who carries the name and the family and the rights and the, and the primary one of the family, he's yours. In other words, the very best I have is yours. That's always been the notion of God's people. Not merely about our children, not merely about our money, but about everything in life. That's us. That's the way God's people live life. The first and best is yours. We don't reserve it to ourselves. In fact, that's just a token of the fact that everything is yours, Lord. And that's just a tangible way of saying we're all committed to you. So this consecration was going on. And then there was a sense of purification. Forty days after the birth of the baby began a ritual of purification. And it was just Joseph and Mary's way of saying we're being obedient to the law. Not only this act of consecration, but this act of purification. And that's what we're reading here. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so this purification law, for it is written... Uh, this is what you will do. It just simply is a part of the purification ritual that God had given the children of Israel that this is the way I want you to conduct yourselves. And every one of these rituals says, you're unique unto me. You're not like the pagan nations who worship many different gods so that everybody can go along to get along. We are unique to say that there's one unique God one true God, and every other God is a false God. Consequently, I've even talked about the clothes you wear and the kind of fabric that can be in the clothing. And here are the various detailed things that say in the Old Testament, you're unique unto me. And Joseph and Mary, in obedience to the law of God, said, okay, the purification ritual we're willing to go through and the cost that it means to us the offering that we will bring is costly to us, and it was proportionate to their income. They didn't have, apparently here, they didn't have the money to have a lamb and the expense of that. So two turtle doves, you know, they had a poor man's offering to bring because Jesus was raised in what kind of family economically? A poor family. Here's the, re here's the evidence of it. Here's the showing of it. They couldn't afford the normal offering. 
and the law of, uh, there was a provision for poorness, poverty. Mary and Joseph were in that position. And so they brought what they needed to bring because even in poverty, we bring. Got that principle? Even in poverty, we bring because it indicates our willingness to be obedient. It indicates our willingness to put God first even before I put my own interest first. You know, no, I put God first. And so here, Mary and Joseph are displaying that, and that's what's going on in the temple that day. Being obedient to the law, even in difficult circumstances. So, Simeon and Anna give us these five observations that I think are helpful for us from this passage of Scripture. Let me just say this about Simeon and Anna before we start with these five observations. We're assuming that Simeon is a priest. I don't know that, we, I don't know that that's necessarily true. We see here what Simeon does. He, um, the, the Spirit comes upon him, tells him essentially that he's not going to die until he sees the Lord's Christ. And then he holds the baby up and blesses God because of the baby. That has given many scholars the indication that, oh, maybe he was serving as a priest. And they did that. It was kind of a regular part. Not, not the high priest, but some of, from the tr- priestly tribe, they would come in and spend their two weeks uh, serving their duty, and then they'd go back home. And so maybe this was his time to come, and all, or, and, and maybe so, but we're not specifically told so. All we're told, him, told man, that he was a righteous and devout man. <laughs> That's really all we're given. We're kind of making the assumption that he's a priest, but maybe he's not. He's there doing what he would do as a worshiper of the Lord, and people periodically came and made pilgrimage there, regardless of where they were lived or all the rest. It's normal that he would be there. Anna, it said, that she is a prophetess. Now, remember, what that does not mean is that she held the office of prophet. It does simply mean the word prophetess can be used in a generalized sense of the word. Simply a woman who spoke the word of God as they knew the Old Testament word of God to be. She was uniquely devoted to declaring the word of God to women, for sure, but even in general conversation. This is what Anna was known for and uh, frequently talked about. So if you talked to Anna, you are often talking about the principles of God's word. She wasn't merely talking about the score of the Ohio State football game. She wasn't merely talking about whether it was raining or snowing outside. She wasn't merely talking about the details of life. She was often talking, that's why she was encouraging and admonishing from the Word of God in her normal course of life. There was that general sense of the term prophet and prophetess outside of the actual office of prophet. It does not mean that she knew the future and was forecasting the future, nor did it mean that she was a preacher of the Word, the Word used in general context, could simply mean that among the people that were gathered in the temple, as she is described as being, literally living in the temple precinct, that she was often one who would be known in exhorting in the truth of God's word, and wonderfully so. So given all of that, here's what we need to know. Uh, Simeon was not merely a professional priest, Anna was not, mere, was not necessarily a professional prophet. Here were 
and here's what I want you to get, normal people. Because here's what you were just about to do. You were just about to check out and say, oh, okay, you know, priest and prophet, you know, you, you, we pay those people to be good. No, no, no. Regular people. Think of them as regular people like all of you, like all of us, right? Normal, regular people. And then see them in their description this morning. So what's the first thing? Well, we see them waiting in verse 25. Verse 20, now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and he was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. So the very first thing you, you know about him is that he is waiting for the comfort of Israel. What does that mean, the consolation of Israel? How would Israel be consoled, comforted, encouraged? How would they be? If the Messiah came, if the King of kings and Lord of lords was to come, and they had been looking for that generation after generation after generation. So here's Simeon waiting for, as it says here, the Lord's Christ. He had been promised, by the way, of the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he would see the Lord's Christ. What does the Lord's Christ mean? The Lord's anointed one, the Lord's Messiah, God's solution all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and I'm going to crush the head of that serpent. The Lord's answer to the serpent and sin that it passed upon all men would be that the Lord's Christ would come, the Lord's anointed one, the Lord's promised one, the Lord's uh, Messiah, Jesus the Christ. So he was waiting, 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 but everybody's been waiting, right? Everybody in Israel has been waiting generation after generation after generation, but Simeon, with unique devotion, had been an anticipation, had been waiting, waiting, looking for, and informed by the Holy Spirit, there was going to be fulfillment of that. He had faith in that regard. And verse 37, what does it say about Anna? In the same general sense, and when then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, and there she was waiting, waiting, waiting. Time spent waiting on God is never wasted time. We think it is, because waiting is hard. Are you waiting on God to do something today? What are you waiting on? Just like they were waiting for the Lord to come, we as a church body, we are waiting for the Lord to come, aren't we? They were waiting on the Lord to come, and He came. We are, even today, by faith, waiting for the Lord Jesus to come. We call it His second coming. That was... Back then, when Simeon and Anna were waiting, they were waiting on the first coming. Now, we didn't understand the whole thing that there would be a second coming. For all anybody knew back then, coming just meant coming. But when he came, we rejected him. He went back to the Father, and he has told us he's coming again. So you and I today are waiting on the Lord's Christ second coming as opposed to first coming. So we're still in the same boat Simeon and Anna were in. In that sense, we're still waiting. And it's a good godly wait. We're still exercising faith that he actually will come. Remember, there's a whole lot of people that didn't think he was going to come the first time. 
In other words, everybody, nobody thought so, except Israel, and maybe not even all of Israel. Devote, devoted, and devout Israelites who really believed God, those people who were waiting properly. And just like today, the world, go out there, ask the man on the street out there downtown Sandusky, is the Lord Jesus coming back, and what's the answer going to be? Are you kidding? Didn't they kill him like a couple thousand years ago? I mean, that's the typical answer. But you and I are people of faith believing that we're waiting for Jesus to come again. But we're waiting for more than just that, aren't we? We're waiting for God to heal a loved one. We're waiting for the job promotion that we've asked God to give us. We're waiting for God to give a baby to the family that seems like it hasn't come yet. We're waiting for God to bring revival to his church. We're waiting for God to give justice in our country. We're waiting for a lot of things, aren't we? Are we waiting with anticipation like Simeon and Anna were? It's a good and godly thing to wait biblically. For instance, in the words of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31... But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Are you feeling weary in waiting? Well, here's what it says. When you wait on the Lord, that brings you strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting and worshiping. Specifically, that's what Simeon was doing in the temple day after day. He was worshiping. We're specifically told that about Anna. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. What these two are known for is their waiting appropriately with faith, believing, and their worshiping while they were waiting. What did worship look like for Anna in this passage? What are the descriptive phrases there? She was worshiping with what? Prayer and fasting. Anybody done any fasting this week? I haven't. It's called Christmas dinner. And it had came with desserts. Okay, I'm just going to tell you. Hadn't been much fasting going on in my house. Not, not this week. And I don't know that the Lord would have required it every week. But... I'm, I'm, I'm simply pointing something out to us. Worship is expensive. Always has been. Always will be. And God wants it to be. It will not be convenient. It will not be easy. It will not be cheap and inexpensive. It will be expensive to you. In your time, your energy, your effort, your money, your devotion to God... It will always cost you something to worship. If it doesn't, it isn't worship. Do you, you understand that? That's what it was for Anna. Worshiping, and here's the descriptive phrase, with fasting and prayer. Two things that you and I don't want to do. We don't want to spend time praying. We certainly don't want to spend time fasting. And it's said here, and she did it night and day. In other words, it was sincere and earnest and real. It wasn't a fake. It wasn't just going through motions. It wasn't just, oh, check this off the list. I guess it's Sunday morning. I guess I get up and go. No, it was meaningful. Waiting, worshiping, welcoming. 
Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God, verse 28 says. He took him up in his arms and blessed God. At this moment, his first impression wasn't to bless everybody else. It was to bless God. Look, God, you are keeping your promise. You said that there'd be a crushing of the serpent's head, and this is the answer. He blessed God for being a promise-keeping God, a covenant-keeping God. The Abrahamic promise, the Abrahamic covenant is true. The Davidic covenant is true. I'm holding him in my hands. Simeon is saying, welcoming him. Anna, in verse 38, gave thanks to God welcoming this little one as she heard Simeon making the declaration of who he was. Welcoming him. To what extent do we open our arms and our hearts to Jesus and the invasion that he is to our life and our schedule? Sometimes we want to say, well, I want to do religion, but I want to do it kind of hands, uh, you know, kind of at a distance, kind of like, I'll take a little bit of it as long as the water's warm, fine. I don't want the water to be too hot. I don't want the water to be too cold. I want religion. I want this religion element of my life to be very comfortable. Well, that's not the kind you, you read about in the Bible. It's not very comfortable very often. The welcoming meant an invasion to their life and schedule and priorities. Welcoming. And then it came with a warning. You know what Simeon said when he picked up this baby, this beautiful song, beginning in verse 29? But picking it up at verse 33, it says, And his father and mother marveled at what Simeon had declared, that he was going to be this light for the revelation to the Gentiles. Now remember, you're standing in a Jewish temple in Jerusalem. You know, we're not in Babylon someplace. We're in Jerusalem. And he says that this baby is going to be a light to the Gentile world. That means to you, by the way. Right? This baby is going to be the answer to even the Gentile nations. No wonder Mary and Joseph marveled at what he said. You mean this is going to be a transracial thing? This is going to be for the whole wide world, not just for the nation of Israel. You mean red and yellow, black and white? They are precious in his sight? You know, really? Everybody kind of thing? Yep. But look at the warning. They marveled, and Simeon blessed them, Joseph and Mary, and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. In other words... The fall and rising. Understand this. Jesus is a dividing line, and everybody's got to decide about Jesus. And some people are going to decide wrongly, and it will be a hell forever for them. And other people will decide rightly, and they will be in heaven forever with him. But mark it down. Jesus is the dividing line for the falling and rising. You're on one side or the other. There is no middle ground. That is consistently the message. That's what Jesus will say about himself. I am the I am. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other. There's only one name, get him among men, whereby we must be saved. This is the dividing line that Simeon is bringing to them. Here's a warning. And he even had the warning to Mary. Mary, this is going to pierce your soul. You're going to watch your baby be tortured and executed. In essence is what he was saying. This isn't going to be easy. And my dear Christian friend, do we find the Christian life to be an easy one today? Comes with a warning. And then working. Verse 38 in particular, what's it say? And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. There's our worshiping. And to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. In other words, Anna went to work. She went to work telling everybody she knew about him. She was already telling everybody about the truth of God's word. She was already involved in proclaiming the truth of God's word as a lifestyle, living in the temple precinct all the time. And she continued her work because this didn't say, oh, look, Jesus has come to fulfill the law. Good. Now everything's all sewn up. All we can reach is all pack our bags and go home and just sit there and wait for the Lord to do it. No, it means that we stay busy at the work of evangelizing and making disciples of all nations. That's what she did. She went about telling everybody about Somebody's got to do the telling. And it isn't going to happen by a robot. It isn't going to just happen by osmosis. Somebody's got to do the work. And that's been the spirit of it ever since the coming of Jesus. It means work for us. So what are our next steps? Well, have you responded to the salvation that has been prepared for all peoples? That's what verse 31 says. That you have prepared in the presence of all people. My eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all people. So in other words, all people can be saved through this Lord Christ. Have you responded to him positively? Do you realize that you can be saved from your sinfulness today? Would you be ready today to repent of your sin and believe on Jesus to forgive you and give you eternal life? Would this be the day for you that you would respond in repentance and faith to Jesus? That's the reason Jesus came for Jew and Gentile alike, for quite literally the whole world to be saved. Saved, not from cancer, not from an auto accident, not from financial disaster, saved from our sinfulness. Secondly, how important is it to you that an accurate description of you be like Simeon, righteous and devout? How important is that to you? If you would have to honestly say, well, not very. Well, today could be a day that you change that. Would you say it's a primary importance or a secondary importance for you in your life? Primary or secondary? Um, it, what steps would you be willing to take to be righteous and devout? Tell me, tell me in your own mind, in your own words, what would you be willing to do to be known and it be true of you, that you're a righteous person, devout in your dedication and commitment to the Lord. What steps would you be willing to take? Thirdly, 
How committed are you to taking your place among God's people to see his work accomplished like Anna was? Would you be willing to say, well, if that's not just something that the professionals do, that's something that we all do, right? So this is the reason I live, the, the primary reason I get up in the morning and go to work or go to school. This is the primary thing that's on my heart and mind. I live and work for Christ. Oh, no, that's just a secondary thing, a third thing, a fourth, uh, a fifth importance to me. If that's all it's going to be to you, then you're not like Anna, not like Simeon, and we need to be. Can you say that your worship of God today is sincere, fervent, meaningful? Can you say that that really is the way you come to worship today and that you go to worship every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, morning, noon, and night? Sincere, true, fervent, meaningful worship of the Lord? Have you allowed your focus on other things, other people, the problems of your life to distract you from that kind of blessing the Lord day and night with fasting and prayer? Has, has something else caught your attention and caused you to be so distracted about the cares of life, the externals of life, that you've lost your focus on the first and primary thing of worshiping the Lord and living for Him every day of your life? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and ask the Lord to help us see how the super saints of this time period can help us learn from their legacy and longevity. Take a moment. What adjustments need to be made? Has it just been kind of rote and meaningless when you come to worship? Couldn't really be described as fervent or sacrificial or meaningful to you? Well, this could be the day to change that. Facing a new year in 2020, this would be a good time to say, Lord, this coming year, if you give me health and strength, this is going to change. It, it was evident in this passage of Scripture that the Holy Spirit was the key in all of this super saintliness for Simeon and Anna. Is that true of you? Your awareness of and empowerment by the Holy Spirit? Lord, help us toward that, we pray. Forgive us where we failed and put other things first and let the distractions of life distract us. Help us. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me?
Lord, take our offering, take ourselves, our families, and use us. May we learn from the life and legacy of all of these folks that we've given our attention to over these past many months, and may you shape and mold us for your glory today. In Jesus' name.